Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 88 for Sunday, December 26th, 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Mastin. And I know we're about to start really getting into this really big, you know, episode talking about things, but I want to stop the action for a moment and just give a little bit of backstory at a moment that's probably a little, feels a little weird, but you know, it happened last week, it happened this week, so I thought maybe it's time for I do it too. And um, I introduced myself because, you know, it's common. And when I was little, I had this incident where my parents introduced me, and and but I was like, I want to introduce myself, and I realized it was very important that I introduce myself. So that's why I introduced myself at the beginning of this episode. And now we know so much more about you, Sabriel, yes. and it's all relevant to what we're about to talk I about. I know, I know. Uh, so, so thank you for having me, letting me have that moment. <laughs> You're quite welcome. I mean, <laughs> what other opportunity do we have to get to know you? I know, especially right? like when the ship's blowing up or we're all about to die. Right. So mm. when those moments arise, you have to take them. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. So, so we're here to talk about Stormy Weather. Yeah. Season 4, <laughs> Episode 6, Stormy Weather. This is Discovery. And let me, let me say right off the bat, this is my third favorite episode of the season. Wow. So of the last four episodes, it's my favorite. Uh-huh. So I think this is a good thing. Because so it's like your favorite favorite, but not favorite favorite favorite. Well, as I've, <laughs> as I've commented, I felt like the show took a serious dip in quality after the first two excellent episodes. And they've been trying to get back up to that level ever since. This week, I feel like they kind of did that. Maybe because there was a little bit more action. And I felt like the blending of action and narrative is still there it's a little more ham-fisted now maybe maybe because we're more aware of it i think so but i i still like that they're doing both of those things yes um i'm gonna slow down just a little bit conversation here because we're probably gonna sound a little different this week because we are in my ready room here on the ship it's true together normally we're projecting holograms into each other's spaces but today it is the real physical in-person review yeah so we're sharing one mic uh, hopefully this doesn't sound terrible and that we can do noise cancellation later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember on DS9 when they were experimenting with holographic mm-hmm. um, communication. Yeah, with, um, uh, on the, the Defiant. Right, right. Uh-huh. And I always felt like, okay, A, they're probably saving some money on the budget by doing this. Right. And B, I kept waiting for an episode where they had, they had that, like, that little, almost like the Sega Genesis activator. There was a mm-hmm. ring that uh-huh. the hologram was in. And I kept waiting for the moment where he stepped out of the ring, and it turned out, oh, he wasn't projecting. It was he teleported, he transported through the shield, and he's on the ship right now. That would have been cool. And they never did that. No, you know, actually, people kind of laughed at it back then. I thought it was kind of neat because you could probably get more out of the actors because they're not talking to a green screen wall. And so, but they never really explored it because it probably felt so weird for Star Trek. Because <laughs> it was weird for Star Trek. And now they're kind of back to doing that. They are. They have them actually on the bridge. Except they have a little bit more interference that you know it's a hologram. Right, right. Because we always have to have that. I was thinking that today, actually, with this episode, Stormy Weather, um, when someone is talking who's not on... Like, if the camera's on the bridge, but someone is engineering talking to someone on a comm badge, they always have the radio static noise so you know that they're, you know, away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it interesting. That way you know that... It's one of those tricks of te- our TV and just filming where you you know the person's not in the scene, but they're in the scene by having that radio noise. Mm-hmm. But by a thousand whatever years from now, I'm sure it would be lossless audio, everything like that. But um, well, it was kind of like <coughs> in the episode, the examples when Reese showed up with his backstory <laughs> about the hurricane. I thought that was actually him there right? because the fidelity was so good. I, I blinked for a minute and I think, oh, I didn't realize he got here. And then the next one I rewatch, I realized he just. Hailed them. Right, right. <laughs> I didn't know that they could do holographic projection when they weren't even on the bridge. Yeah. So I wonder where the projection was coming from. Um, you know, there's a lot of science fiction technology we don't understand in Star Trek, and so. Um, and I have some gripes about the technology in this episode, yeah, but so I don't let's get need. Started. Yeah, I don't need to get ahead of myself. <laughs> well, here, so. so this episode was directed by someone we might have heard before called Jonathan Frakes. Oh, yeah. I think he did, uh, wasn't that movie The Thunderbirds with the puppets? Yep, yep, yep. That's what he's most known for. And Clockstoppers. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like his work. This is his 23rd episode of Star Trek. 
Only 23rd? Uh-huh. Uh, I thought, actually, I didn't think it was that much. I On Ready Room this week, they show like a few second clips of all his uh, episodes of Star Trek. Including Sub Rosa? Including Sub Rosa. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so Jonathan Frakes, who was um, Commander Will Riker, if you don't know. And yeah, he went to directing on a ready room. He actually says he likes being a director, director more than actor. Hmm. Um, you know, I've probably told this story before, but I met him at a super mega fest in Framingham, Massachusetts. And I told him that he directed my favorite Star Trek movie, First Contact. Oh, no. <laughs> and he uh-huh. said, well, you know, I had a great script and a great crew to work with. <laughs> that sounds as humble as he does in this yeah. in the ready room this week, too. Yeah, that is, that is his way. It's acknowledging that. All the credit doesn't belong to him, mm-hmm. and, you know, he may be talented, but it's not about him. Yeah. So uh, I like let's talk that. more about Ready Room later on. Okay, um, that, that's this. something that I never watch, and you always do. Yeah, so. yeah, I started to do that. Well, also, this week was written by, like I said I was going to try to look at people who are writing it behind the scenes to try to get more, maybe, insight into, into things, and this one was written by Anne Cofell Saunders and Brandon Schultz, and Saunders, or Anne Cofell Saunders, wrote three episodes of Discovery Already, Scavengers last season, where Michael and Giorgio rescued Book from the Emerald Chain salvage yard. Did Sukal, um, where they discovered Sukal on that hologram Delithian planet, and where Saru looked human. And then also did Anomaly this season, where the second episode. That's right. The most generic of all the episode titles. Right, and actually, if you look at Anomaly Discovery, because it apparently was used already in the past, I've forgotten. Um, and she also worked on Smallville. The Boys, and my favorite, one of my favorite Battlestar Galactica episodes, which you haven't seen, so I'm not going to do too much of a spoiler, but we get Pegasus was the episode where we get to see Ensign Rolaren. I mean, Michelle Forbes. Oh, on TNG. On Battle, yeah. Well, same actress, went on Battlestar Galactica. Okay, I knew she was on Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the USS Pegasus, which had the mm-hmm. cloaking device. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Because uh-huh. didn't that all, isn't that also the episode that tied into the final episode of Enterprise? Yep. yep. But that's not what you're talking about. Right. Okay. Uh, the Battlestar Galactica episode Pegasus, where people, fans of Pegasus, or Galactica know what that episode is. Um, I don't want to do too much spoilers, because Ken has not seen it, and I think Ken's going to watch. We were just talking last night about how it's a show that I got. I saw the first season and a half ten years ago, mm-hmm. actually eleven years ago now, and haven't seen it since. But I really want to, at some point. Strongly suggested. So, back to stormy weather. Yes. Um, what should we start with? Well, let's see. I, I didn't take as copious notes, partly because you and I watched this episode together. I know. It's been, it's been since uh, Picard. Yeah. I watched another episode. This may be only the second ever episode of Discovery we've watched together. And so I wasn't taking notes because I, I felt like that would be rude. I know? didn't. Well, I watched. I did all my note taking in the second one. That's right. You rewatched the episodes, which is great because at least one of us was paying attention. Yeah. But let's see. Usually there are three <clears throat> plots in each episode. So this episode had the subspace rift that they went into and i think all the subplots were really in service of that they were all this one is very closely tied together there was no little b story there were stories that were subplots of the main story right this week and so the void um well speaking of the void this episode (laughs) reminded me of at least two other episodes of star trek i feel like Mm -hmm. there's a third and i forget what it was but most obviously Star Trek Voyager Season 7, Episode 14, The Void, mm-hmm. uh-huh, uh-huh. where Voyager is stuck in a, I don't remember what the scientific explanation was, but like a subspace rift with no stars and just other ships. And it also reminded me of TNG Season 4, Episode 5, Remember Me, where Beverly Crusher is stuck in a warp bubble that is slowly collapsing because in this episode, it seems like this, the edge, the barrier of whatever this rift is closing in on them and is going to envelop them even if they can't see it mm-hmm. so i feel like they could have asked zora what is the nature of the universe and she would have said the universe is a sphere a thousand meters wide um uh it's funny um at the beginning of this episode saru makes callbacks to voyager in one of the enterprises that's right traveling to rifts and like rewatching that it felt weird only because like saru makes these callbacks to the previous star trek's which, for them, would have made no sense because it was hundreds of years ago in the past now. It was totally fan service moments. But also remember Season 3, Episode 5 of Discovery, when they finally arrived back at Earth. Or rather, not Earth, but Federation Headquarters. Mm-hmm. 
there is the Voyager, Voyager J. J. Yeah, and so like it could have been like, did the Voyager J do this? Like, I, yeah. I, I, it was totally meant to be fan service for yeah. us. Yeah, but and, it like none of these none of this crew would have any meaning to those names. Of right, Enterprise and Voyager. You know, it just happened to be the ships that they've yeah. done shows about. Uh-huh. It could have been the USS Achilles, right? Or, or anything like, that's happened in the last nine hundred years, <laughs> right? And same thing with the Enterprise. Like I think Captain Archer, when he went to the future, saw the Enterprise J, mm-hmm. and even Captain Picard said there are still a lot of letters left in the alphabet. <laughs> Um, the Void. Um, I thought the Void was really cool. Um, as a plot device, you're on a ship alone in uncharted waters. I mean, that's Star Trek in a nutshell, but here when there's no space, I thought it was really cool. The creepy thing, it was really creepy with the dot dying and screaming in space, dying. Uh, you can hear someone screaming, apparently, uh, when there's no sound. (laughs) Because now... We know that, well, originally, the dots were the manifestation of Zora. That's like all we got. At least in that one episode. It was never really explored. Yes, I agree. But we, I think we can assume that the dots are still manifestations of Zora. I think they're at least connected to. Yeah. And now that Zora has feelings, if a part of her dies, she even said when the hulls were being breached, she's like, it's a part of me being sheared off. Uh Uh-huh. And we'll get more into that, of course. Yeah. but But the screaming scene. That yeah. was creepy. I wasn't sure if I was ready for it the second time. <laughs> I thought about skipping that for a minute, but I watched anyway. Um, let, let me back up and say, I feel it was irresponsible of them to go into the rift in the first place. We didn't see them send any probes in. Right? Let's just send a ship manned with actual people into this rift. I think I mentioned that when we were watching live. Like, no one ever uses probes anymore unless it's like for some dramatic effect. Right. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's a problem with Star Trek in general. Uh, they just never use the probes that they have unless it's a plot device. Yeah. Like, oh, it's missing. Like, okay, there's our plot device. Let's go in and look for it. Right, right. <laughs> well, I guess you can't set another probe because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over I mean, and over, expecting a different we built result. A, the first castle built, burned down and sank into the swamp. Then we built another one on top of that, and that burned down and sank into the swamp. And then... <laughs> so let's just do it a third time. Uh-huh. Well, that, I mean, that actually demonstrates what you just said, uh, how we as a society are building places in environmentally unsound <laughs> locations like oh how come we keep getting all these hurricanes and that tear down all our buildings let's pour put more buildings right in the path of the hurricane i had a geology teacher in college who laughed at the thought of that um new orleans exists where it does right because he's like if, if humans had longer lives and actually thought about things long term no one would build there <laughs> right that's that's an Excellent and much better example of what I was trying to <laughs> she say. She just laughed so hard. I'm like, <laughs> you know what? He's not wrong. No. Um, but um, anyway, when that dot died, yeah, I had more connection to that dot dying than Arium death. De- Arium's death in season two. Really? It that Arium in season two had no connection for me at all. But we had seen Arium before, and granted, we didn't get her backstory until that episode. Right. If, if they would even. If they could have seeded that at all in season two before that episode, it would have been way different. But they didn't seed anything about this dot. Like, why did you care about the dot? Because we heard it screaming. <laughs> oh. And they made it, they gave it a face. Okay. Arium had a face? She did, but she wasn't screaming in the void. And she actually got, wasn't it uh, Commander Nan? Was that her name? The, 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 yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, like, she's the one who punched the button. Mm-hmm. Like, she had had her breathing apparatus ripped off, but she came to long enough to push the button to eject the airlock uh-huh. and kill Arium. Like, that was dramatic. It was dramatic, but it didn't have the emotional just punch, because we only, we didn't have any, didn't, we didn't, Arium didn't matter until that episode, and it sucked. I wish they would have pushed that forward. So basically, yeah. I just felt more in the moment. Well, I think part of it is that Arium didn't really die. She came back as Commander Nielsen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also that. <laughs> <laughs> so for those oh. who uh, didn't get the memo, the actor who played Arium in season one came back in season two as Commander Nilsson. Mm-hmm. And they had somebody else play Arium in season two. And that's the actor who is not here anymore because the character died. Yeah. So well, fine. They never got, never got rid of her. <laughs> she got to keep her job. Right. So the, so yeah, the actor who played Arium in season one has been in every season of Star Trek mm-hmm. before and after Arium's death. Anyway, um, talk about more of the, about the void. Yeah. Or, um. Well. Okay. So. Yes. The void. Okay. They try to jump out. The mushroom spore jump? Yep, they tried the mushroom spore jump, and that doesn't work, but, yeah. and Book gets electrocuted. Yeah. And during the episode, he sees his, talks to his father, and gets yelled at by his father, 
And I had forgotten at the very beginning of the episode, one of the first lines spoken, his book mentions his dad's birthday. It would have been his dad's birthday today. Yes. I just totally forgot that. And that's why at the end, his last words to his oh, dad yeah, his are happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, but so, but zapping his brain um, was what was the clue that Discovery needed. But also, the very first word his father said to him was his true name. Yeah. Um, or rather, his birth name. His birth name, um, Terex. Yes. And Book even says, that's not my name anymore. I'm like, oh, it's, yeah, his dad, first thing his dad does, I know this very well, is dead naming you. <laughs> we, well, we had three different characters in this episode who all made a point of saying that they chose their name. Mm-hmm. We have Book, we have Zora, and we have Gray. I didn't know that... I didn't know that Gray had chosen his name before. Yeah, it didn't really come up. Yeah. Um, uh, just didn't really have a reason to. And then, but yeah, names, the name you choose for yourself can be very important. I think uh, maybe it's not best to let kids choose their name, because who knows if they would choose, like, purple, pink elephant. But um, having a point where you have your own, being able to choose your name is, I think, very important to some people. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, absolutely. I got to do it. Um <laughs> I mean, I think whether or not it's your name, choosing your identity is important. And there are a lot of different ways to respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to work with a guy named Jack. That was not his name, but everyone called him Jack. He had a, he had, it's just, he preferred Jack. He liked Jack. Yep. And so even if you can't do it legally because it's a big process, uh, go ahead by a different name if one speaks to you more. Did you know that Jackie Chan, that's uh, Jackie is not his name? You know? I did not know that, because I never, but I never thought about it either. But it makes sense. <laughs> if I recall what I... I read his autobiography about 15 years ago. And if I recall correctly, he was working on a construction site. And everybody just called him Jackie. <laughs> and he was like, okay, let's go with that. And so that became his name. And uh, yeah, I, I just pulled up his Wikipedia page. He was born Chan Kong Sang... And then it also says his uh, legal name is Datuk Fang Shai Long. And he's known professionally as Jackie Chan. (laughs) So there we go. Today I learned. Yes. So so Book was working through a lot of emotions with his dad. Even if his dad wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think it was. I think it was just his hallucinations as they thought it was in the episode too. I agree. But I wonder if his dad was that much of a jerk in life. Uh, at least that's what you perceive as apparent, you know, of, of the person. Mm. He might have been. Or at least this is what book perceived, and we may never know. Mm. Mm. If it's just that. I, you know what? I did not expect that interaction to go the way it, I, it did. I thought that his father, or the appearance of his father, the apparition, was going to be planting seeds of doubt in book's mind. Because I've been worried all season, ever since Kwaijan was destroyed, about how Book's and Burnham's relationship would have developed. Oh, and it sounds... This episode shows it just keeps getting stronger and stronger. Yeah. Like, I thought it was going to get weaker and weaker. I thought he was going to... I thought Book was going to come out of that hallucination much more suspicious of Burnham Mm -hmm. about how he's doing whatever he she tells him to and how he's going to have to assert his independence and break away from her. But he just, you know, stepped up to his dad and said... This is a strength I have. Uh-huh. I trust her and I love her. And then he went to her and he said that. Under the assumption that it was just um, some a hallucination of his own creation. I mean, his dad would be then be the manifestation of all his own self-doubts. Mm. And he's convincing himself of what he needs to get through. So that's that feels like more of what that role was. He does have all these doubts. He was feeling like Michael would just ignore him. Mm. You know um, what? I... Maybe I need to rewatch that episode because that is a very good point. I kept perceiving his dad as these energy particles when actually you're right. It's his own subconscious. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like how in our dreams, we are every character in our dreams. Uh Not like in our dreams, we usually think like, oh, this is me and I'm interacting with all these other people. But those other people are you because they're all coming from the same place, Uh which is your own head, which is weird. Jerk brains, too, sometimes. Honestly. <laughs> honestly. I, if I had never have another tornado dream, nightmare again, I would oh, be very happy. I'm sorry. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, I love uh, how Book came through this. And they found, I hope I'm not jumping out of your order, no. but when they examined the particles in his head, they confirmed your theory, Sabriel, from 
Season 4, Episode 1. It was an extragalactic threat. It's an intergalactic threat. Extra. That's right. That's right. It comes from outside the galaxy. It is extragalactic. Yeah. I had a hypothesis of if it's someone we know who it could be, like the Andromedans. Um, Shar brought up maybe whoever sent Voyager or V'ger back to Earth, maybe. Whoever sent the whale probe. Discovery, we're, Star Trek Discovery, we're finding out they love to touch back on things from the past. Like, there's all this universe building of mystery that could go unanswered, but we can also touch on it if we want. And so those are some hypotheses if it's someone we know. Otherwise, it's some alien species C10. When you say the Andromedans, is it the same as the Kelvins? Um, I think they were two separate, but now as we're questioning it, I've forgotten. Because so. I don't remember who the Andromedans might be. Uh, the Andromedans, I thought, were the ones who did... No, no, the Kelvins were the ones who did the salt. The turning people to salt. That's what you told me earlier. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, still yeah. No, no, you're too. right. I just... There's so much going on up there. Sometimes I mix things up, but... Um, well, when you have a brain full of 800 episodes of Star <laughs> Trek... It's easy to remember everything in one week, and then the next week is what? What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, extragalactic threat. So I'm excited to see what that is. I know we're going to explore some of that soon. Um, next episode is a cliffhanger. Be- well, I don't know if it's a cliffhanger, but it's a mid-season break. So expect a cliffhanger. Right. So after season seven, Discovery goes on a hiatus and Prodigy comes back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, let's talk more about the intergalactic threat. Uh, extragalactic threat. Yes. Dang it. Mm-hmm. I took Greek. I should know my intergalactic, roots. Intergalactic, planetary, planetary, intergalactic. What song is that? Weird Al, of course. Oh. No, no, no. It's not. <laughs> Wait, is thing. it? Weird Al did a poker version of it. Okay. Uh, was it Beastie Boys? I, think? I don't know anything. Um. Okay. So, it sounds to me from this episode that Starfleet, the Federation, whatever, already has some knowledge of a galactic barrier. And we haven't really seen that oh, before, have yes, we? Yes, we have. On TOS, they went to the galactic barrier because that's what you could do back then before they had an established, you know, technology level. Um Enterprise D went beyond the galactic barrier once, um, where no man has gone before, I think. Is that the one where Barkley was the ship's computer? Um, no, it was. maybe they did it there, too, but this was uh, season one episode, I think. Oh, okay, I know which one you mean. Um, so we've seen it before, um, but and they've probably seen it in the last 900 years. Huh. But um, It sounds like they've never gone to the edge of it in an episode, though. Um, yeah, they either went to the edge, or... I think they did it in that TOS episode, but the galactic barrier has been basically, like, we don't need to explore that because we're stuck in our part of space. Mm-hmm. And I think... I was hypothesizing with you or my friend Char of about... Oh, right, I think they're setting up, so... Future season to Discovery, we're going to go to new galaxies. But there's so much in our own galaxy. I think they've explored most of our galaxy in this timeline now, in the last 900 years. Because we've seen maps of the Delta Quadrant planets we've known and things like that. I think they're just alluding to it. And so I think now, all of a sudden, because we know other ships are going to get spore drive. But they still haven't solved the pilot problem of the new spore drive. But that they're working on. I think that's what they're leading into. All season, they keep hinting at it and talking about it in the background. And I think they're hinting at, in the future, we're going to get more more extragalactic travel. But don't you need to know where you're going to warp there? Via the spore drive? We'll, we'll figure that out then. I just think that's where it's kind of heading up to. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a little intimidated by that. I I feel like there's still a lot to happen back home. Like, I want to know what has happened to the Borg in the last 900 years. I'm going to keep mum. What do you mean you're going to keep mum? I'm going to keep mum. Why, why? How do you know something I don't? I'm going to keep mum. <laughs> Is that because you know I hate it when you spoil stuff? Um. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to come back to but that. But do I know something or don't I know something? I don't know. Uh-huh. And you're no, no, but there me. are a lot of stories that we don't know in the Milky Way, but it's Star Trek, Star Trek, so I guess we'll see. Um, or at least they'll make some more excursions out there, I think, because we've never been to another galaxy without someone else's help. Or maybe it'll be like, t- that. that is a good point, that is what I was trying to get to earlier. And maybe it'll be like Talos Four, where they go out there and they decide, you know what, this is too dangerous for us. Mm-hmm. Let's never go back there. <laughs> Nobody's allowed to leave the galaxy ever again. Kind of like when they first met the Borg, and Picard's like, he said to Q, we are scared, we need your help, and he sent him home. Right? They're going to go outside the galaxy, and they're going to be like, oh, crap, we're not ready for this. <laughs> maybe in another hundred years we'll come back, when humanity has evolved. Uh-huh. Or whatever. Anyway. Um... 
We haven't talked about Zora yet. Yeah, Zora, main character, is becoming a main character. I mentioned to you that um, Zora has gotten more character development than a lot of the bridge crew in four seasons. <laughs> and I love Zora. Yes. <coughs> I am a huge fan of Zora as well. I feel like every Star Trek series has a character who is learning what it means to be human. Mm-hmm. Spock, Data, Odo, the holographic Doctor, and Seven of Nine, mm-hmm. uh, Paul, and uh, now we have Zora. Because uh-huh. we haven't really had anybody much like that in this, ep- in this series. I wouldn't say Saru has been trying to be more no. human. So now we got Zora. And... I wondered, would they have been able to escape the void this episode if they had had a quote-unquote regular computer? Like, was Zora a strength in this episode, or was she a weakness? Because she had to overcome her own distractibility and lack of confidence Mm -hmm. in order to escape the void. If they had a computer with no personality, could they have done that more easily? Yeah, um, possibly. Um... Because we don't know, but that very seems plausible. Very much seems plausible to me. Because that seems to me like they might go back to Federation HQ and give their report. And HQ will say, this computer is a liability and needs to be purged of its personality. I don't think that would happen at all. No, I I agree with you because their mission is to seek out new life. Well, there it is, sitting Uh in a chair, waiting. (laughs) You know, measure of a Zora. Uh But... Nonetheless, it doesn't change the fact that she may have been a liability in in this one case. But, I mean, any crew member could be a liability, especially bridge crew. But how many... Hmm. Okay, that's true. You but, just gotta trust each other. That's what being crew and that's what being a crew in Star Trek is all about. Let me get my uh, Starfleet captain. Uh. But how, <laughs> how often do you see bridge crew freeze up because they're afraid? You know, it's something that Star Trek hasn't explored much, but the Expanse has. Um, Which is another show I've not seen. Yeah. Um, did you know that it's based on a role-playing game? Yes, I did, because I was <laughs> the one who was there while you learned that. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, they will show people having their moments personally, but it doesn't always... I'm sure in these 800-some hours episodes, excuse me, of Star Trek, there's been a moment that I'm not thinking of at the moment where someone stops and can't do it. or But someone usually will push them over so they can do it. And there are certainly times Barkley was afraid of stuff, like he uh-huh. was afraid of he transporters. Wasn't really bridge crew. True. He was in surprisingly few episodes. Uh, I know, right? It feels like he was such a bigger part. Right. I mean, he even made it into First Contact. And Voyager. Recurringly. <laughs> oh, well. But, um, like a lot of the bridge, yeah. I mean, like, Data having a fit. Data was having a crying or like a fit. Um, oh yeah, in, in generations. generations. Yeah, he couldn't stop laughing. But you're right. They don't show. They usually show within the same episode. The same person is allowed time to overcome it and not in the heat of the moment. Which is what Zora did mm-hmm. eventually. And so basically the same, I guess. But mm. I do like it. Um, here we here Zora picked her own name. Um, in various languages, her name means dawn or new day. Um, Gray mentioned that he picked his name here. Cool scene where Gray is... I don't know, hypothesis, hypothesis for the season around Gray. But, um... I'll get that in a second here. Um, Gray helps Zora and works through things. Uh, calm her down. Get her to slow down so she can focus on things. Because all the sensors were overloading her. She was getting overloaded with all the information that she doesn't have or does have on the ship. She was very becoming very self-aware of every single little problem. And um, hyper-focusing on things. And Grey helped talk her down. Grey is showing to be very good at being perceptive of people's feelings and talking talking with them. See where I'm going with this? Where he might be... His new role on Discovery might be in the future? No? Um, Colbert is working through some things. He's been working as, um, a psychiatrist. And so I wonder if Gray is going to pick up on some of that. At least maybe while Colbert is on vacation, as he was told to go on break. So I wonder, at some level, I wonder if Gray is going to help. Maybe not on a professional level, but maybe step into some of those shoes to some degree. Well, Colbert hasn't taken a break yet. Mm Mm-hmm. There was... An earlier episode in this season where Susan Art tweeted the fact that there were a bunch of high-ranking individuals 
presidents, admirals, captains, all sitting at a table, trying to decide what to do next. And it was all women except for Admiral Vance. Mm-hmm. And she, the, that gender balance really struck her. And ever since she said that, I've started paying more attention. Like, you and I have commented before, like, oh, there are times where, uh, I think season two, the only uh, white man on the bridge was Captain, what's his name? You mean Pike? Pike, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Captain Pike. And so, in this episode in particular, there was a scene in sickbay where it was Dr. Culber, Dr. Pollard, Book, and Burnham. And I was like, that's four people of color. Mm-hmm. All one scene. Yeah. like the, And that was great. And I uh-huh. guess if I had been more perceptive, maybe it wouldn't have struck out to me, actually, because there are probably a lot of scenes like that in Discovery. But I really like that we have all these people on this ship. And they actually gave Dr. Pollard two different scenes. Uh-huh. She got to have her own drama scene. Um, which was kind of neat. To see. She doesn't get that very often. I no, wonder why they chose her for this scene. Well, I have two questions about that. But mm-hmm. uh, two questions about that scene. One of them is exactly what you just asked, which was, "Oh, Doctor Pollard is near there. Let's get her eyes on the scene." And she rounds the corner and sees that there are a lot of crewmen already working on this problem. Uh-huh. Why didn't they ask any of them? They were looking for an officer, I guess. I don't know. Because that uh, did feel weird to me too. That's they can't. Tr- they can't trust the observations of low-ranking Apparently individuals. Um, I mean, I don't know. One person didn't. Couldn't even take opportunity while being blasted out to space to beam himself back. That was my second question. <laughs> like, they have these transporters that most of the time, like in this episode when they went to the pattern buffer, you saw them tapping their comm badges. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, they don't even do that. They just apparently think about where they want to go. Uh-huh. We don't see them inputting coordinates or talking to the computer. They just go there somehow. And this time, he was instead physically running to get somewhere, got blocked by a force field. Not only did he not beam himself out, but I feel like Zora could beam anybody she wants maybe to. Zora maybe Zora was having issues. She was kind of having a moment at that point there, too. Um, but anyone else could have. Or we've seen on multiple Star Trek C4 or even other shows where you're in space for... You get a few seconds, a few moments where you're okay for a few little bit. Maybe hurting when you come back, but can pull you out. And he even held... That guy even held on to the bulkhead I was watching Ooh. before he got pulled out further yet. Ouch. And it's like, he had a mo- someone else had a moment to react, and they didn't do it. Well, maybe because sensors were being overloaded, they couldn't get him. But if he had even an ounce of packlet blood in him, <laughs> he could have survived yeah. the uh, fridges of outer space. But yeah, that, 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 that just did feel weird based on the technology that they've given us, the toys that they play with now. He probably didn't have to die. I agree. But, um... It would have been less dramatic, of course. Because mm-hmm. then Zora had to have guilt over that. Uh-huh. And what would she have had guilt over if right, she had saved if, everybody? If I mean, she kind of had guilt about letting it happen still. But, um, so yeah, that's what we're tying back to. That can help Gray maybe fill in some more role or shoes of helping out. Because Gray and Michael help Zora work through the death of someone now. She felt it was her fault. And, um... One thing we haven't seen a lot of with Grey is working through the fact that Grey no longer has a symbiont. Yeah, I don't, they haven't had time to sit down and explore, but this is kind of touching on that. The game they played, which I found on the Ready Room, they actually invented at least semi-real rules for this game that the crew did when they were making... I mean, the production crew actually made a game based on... And it was new for this episode, right? Uh-huh. Cool. Um, so, but this that whole game was meant for um, Trill to work on integration integration back in their body and so it's there but it's not like the focus of the episode hmm. um maybe we'll get more of that soon yeah because gray not only has a new body but i mean i i that was the reason given in this episode mm-hmm. to play that game to help gray integrate with the body that has been created and now that seems related to but separate from the loss of the symbiote yeah but anyway um zora not the um, we had Zora and Gray bonding over a board game, which is cool. <laughs> and, and then Gray and then, running up to the bridge to say, I need to tell Burnham that Zora can have external sensors was, when Zora's focused. I would love that because all I could think of was Picard would say, what are you doing on my bridge, kid? <laughs> well, I, I had two questions about that. One was, yes, why not just use the combat? Mm-hmm. And second of all, Zora could report that herself. Um, Actually... 
We kind of see that earlier because Zora. Gray was like, Zora, you need to tell her. And Zora says, I don't have enough information. Uh huh. And she she was locking up. She, but, but, um. That remind. Oh, that's. Uh, uh, tied Zora, Zora was getting. Having kind of an anxiety attack about it. Um, in a sense. Because not sure what to do. I don't have enough information. And having a few friends who go through similar feelings sometimes of like hyper focusing on that and just helping them like focus on something so they can tell me what they need or tell, get what they're trying to say. Gray was that role here. And um, Gray helped facilitate that in person. You know, I said at the beginning of this podcast that I felt like there was a third episode of Star Trek this reminded me of, and I forgot which one it was. I just remembered it was the one where there was a Benzite on TNG, Mm -hmm. and he found something on the hull and did not report Mm -hmm. it until Mm -hmm. he had all the information. Mm-hmm. And, See? and Zora was doing the exact same thing. <laughs> now, when I ca- make these callbacks and say, oh, this rem- this is just like Voyager the Void, or this is just like TNG Remember Me, I- that's not a criticism. Like, uh-huh. after 800 episodes of Star Trek, it's inevitable that some things will come back up. And also, there are really only so many plot devices that exist in narration to begin with. Like, I, I think you can pretty much boil it down to two things. You go on a journey, or a stranger comes to town. And that's one of two things. Uh-huh. So, I, what I admire about Discovery is that regardless of what elements are in there that are co- similar to another Star Trek episode, or are original to itself, if anything, it's the synthesis that is new. You know, they're taking elements from the Void, and elements from Remember Me, and elements from the Benzites, and making it into something we haven't seen before. You know, I had a friend, Tony, who wanted to launch a podcast. And he felt that the only way to, <clears throat> to do that was to first not listen to any other oh, podcasts. No. Oh, no. Because he... Didn't want to... He felt it would subconsciously influence him and he would steal all these ideas when he just wanted <laughs> to make it wholly his own and say, no, I never stole that from somebody else. I thought of it myself. <laughs> and I thought, like, Tony you're going to make all the same mistakes that have already been made. You should let other people make the mistakes so you can learn from them and improve on them. Listen to the podcast, find out what you don't like, and fix it when you do your own. Uh Uh-huh. And so I hope that the people who are writing Discovery, especially Jonathan Frakes, not that he wrote it, he directed it, that they've seen all the Star Treks you and I have seen, Brie, and I think that's a good thing, because it's not like they're saying, oh... We have a writer's strike. Let's just rehash these six elements. <laughs> We're going to take all these things and put them into something new and nobody will ever recognize it. No. I think it's cool because even if they're not doing it on purpose, mm-hmm. I think you and I have previously spoken about, it was on Polygamer just last week, uh-huh. how if you are in a creative um, field, you should spend 20% of your time consuming content because you need to synthesize it and be inspired by it. Yeah, what is everyone else doing? I mean, how many times in Dungeons & Dragons can I... F- I- Hampers my way to making a dungeon. Like, hey, you need to go into a dungeon to do a thing. Oh, hey, you need to go into a dungeon and do a thing. I mean, I do that every every campaign or some kind of dungeon mm-hmm. uh, every week. I, <laughs> yeah, I gotta I gotta make up some reason to go in there. Um, and so yeah, you can still tell stories even if it's same stuff in the past as you've seen in the past. Yeah, it's you know written in a different context for a different audience mm-hmm. you know the people who are watching star trek now are very different from who was watching it 55 years ago i mean <laughs> i mean they may be the same individuals in some cases but they have they themselves have grown most of us have grown uh-huh. yeah you know and there there are some people who don't like discovery because oh it's serial or oh it's too diverse and i was like well, this is not your Star Trek. Yeah. This is it's, our Star Trek. It's still Trek. Star Trek, even the ones you don't like. Especially the ones you don't like. <laughs> um, By the way, at some point, I want to talk about what you got up on the screen there. Um, yes, we'll talk about the lesbians in a bit. Um, so, <laughs> if that doesn't get anyone else excited. Um, Zora, I love the moment when Michael says, Zora, please join me in the ready room. Or join us in the ready room. I thought that was so cool, just to treat her like an actual member of the crew. Even though she's always going to be there. Yeah, she's omnipresent. Uh-huh. But she's like, Zora, just treating her like she is a person in existence. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Well, even at one point, didn't she sort of self-consciously say please to Zora? Yeah, and and the, Saru was like... The beginning of the episode, yeah. yeah. She gets in there and please. And Saru's like, what's going on? And she's like, it's polite. <laughs> well, am I the only one who says thank you to Siri and Alexa? I, I have done it too. Uh-huh. 
It's just the polite thing to do. And if the robot uprising happens, they'll know they'll to remember kill me you. quickly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Instead of um, drawing it up. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the least you can hope for. Yeah. The least. <laughs> um, but I like that. At the very end, the family tree. I thought that was cute. That um, Zora made of the crew. Oh, yeah. And then Michael telling her, like, this is different, but it's good. This is special. Yeah. But her connection with Zora and, and the ship's connection to Zora. And I think both her, Zora's tree and Burnham's tree both had Tilly on it. Mm-hmm. And it, it, sometimes it's hard to remember that she's no longer on the bridge. I know, right? But then Adira is actually taking uh, Tilly's spot on the bridge. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because at one point Adira said, like, oh, it's my first time on the bridge. Or, first assignment. Usually they're there. Um, but... Um, not usually an assignment, usually like working as like an, and I almost like it felt like an intern to Tilly. And so now they have actually been assigned here. Thank you for that clarification, because I was trying to figure out how this could be the first when they are on the bridge all the time. Now I get it. Thank you. Uh huh. No problem. And also Gray sending Adira off to work, getting the hail, like everyone get to your stations and Adira's all like nervous and Adira's like, go, 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 go. <laughs> it was, it was cute. Um, and speaking of which, when everybody is being summoned to their stations, we saw some unusual visual transitions. Those were weird but cool. I've never seen anything like that in a Star Trek. The before. closest we had was when they did the season two when they were recapping the original pilot. Oh yeah, and they had the you know, neat transitions talking about last time on this episode of Star Trek that never really existed. Uh, here it's existing. Um. They did kind of funny transitions, too. Hmm. And they did some neat ones here. Well, when they did those transitions, they were... I remember you pointing this out on Transporter Lock. They were specifically calling back to the cinematic techniques of the 60s. Mm-hmm. In this episode, I almost felt like they were inspired by the recent Netflix live-action Cowboy Bebop <laughs> Maybe. Which, of course, has Sulu in it. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> it does. It does. Actor. It does. I know what you mean. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, emergency break on. So, but I, I wonder why they did that. Is it did. I liked it. It was neat to see, but also so, so weird for Star Trek. Well, that's the thing is it took me out of the story for a second. Uh-huh. It did both of us. Really, what we were watching, like, whoa, what was that? Yeah. Our fir- <laughs> you know, our first response wasn't, wow, that's neat. That was our second response. Our first response was, what is happening? Uh-huh. And that's, I don't think that's a good response. Uh, I don't know if it's bad either. It's a neutral Hmm. It's a response. I guess we'll see how if they do that anymore in the future so we can reflect on this. It exists in the neutral zone of transitions. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. As long as no one steps over it for the moment. That's um. right. That's right. <laughs> and in that scene, in the transitions, we saw the gym where mm-hmm. Owo and Detmer were working Yes, out. this is the lesbian scene you were talking about. You asked me... You're the one who called it that. You I were did. talking about I it. I was. But you asked, like, what's this person tweeting about? Well, there's a, it's just a scene. I Well, there was a Twitter thread that pointed out two things... Neither of which I was aware of. One was, I would really have to go back and watch the last several episodes of The Fine Tooth Comb. Mm-hmm. But they're suggesting that Detmer and Owo have not been on scene on screen together for a while. Kind of like how... Oh, yeah, because last week it was weird fish person was in Owo's seat. That's right. Oh, that's a good point. So kind of like how they shot Reno's scene separately. Mm-hmm. I think due to COVID, Owo and Detmer have not been together oh, for that? a while. Maybe. And so this scene was showing them reunited. Uh Uh-huh. And then elsewhere in the Twitter thread, it was shipping them. Uh Uh-huh. Which maybe you and I have talked about, but one of the things you said to me on DM recently was, Detmer is clearly gay. You don't know about Owo. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yep. Now, for those of us who do not have a good sense for these things, I think I know some of what you're going to say, but can you break down your analysis of Detmer for me? Oh, gosh. Um... I don't know if there's a precise way. It's one of those gaydar things. Um, That's the word I was trying to know. avoid using. Uh-huh. I, I have no problem because I'm very gay. Um, she has this... this oh, I don't know. This... Uh, panache, right word? Uh, this way she carries herself. Very... Um, butch isn't the right word. But she's very got... Top energy, Ken. If you know much about queer culture, uh, no, no, she's a pilot. I've talked about this before in the past about her pilotness and her. Yes. Yes. I remember that conversation. And for her to be that, and I think like Brie Larson's Miss, or not Mrs. Miss Marvel, um, um, Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. Uh, has that kind of same energy, very gay energy. Uh, 
Also military. Uh-huh. Okay. And just, I don't know if I'm putting it into words. And any lesbian I know who's listening to this would like, yep, immediately. Yep, Kayla, totally yay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't doubt this analysis at uh-huh. all. Or at least, hopefully, I, mean, I would love it if she is. Hopefully it's not queer baiting. Because Star Trek loves, or TV shows love to do that. Mm. Media loves to do that. But she totally feels gay to me. Oh, well, might be queer in some level. But I don't know. So you didn't mention the side shave. I mean, yeah, she looks like me. <laughs> it's awesome. I thought that was just a given, so I didn't need to bring it up. Okay. Uh huh. No. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they got to have their little scene together. And speaking of Owo. Yes. Yes. Owo had a little moment where it's like, Saru, I need to go do a thing. And Saru's like, no, you're not going to do a thing. And she's like, ah. Oh. And then Saru tells the crew, I know it's tough, but we have to stand together. And that was it. But then when things are going bad, oh, oh, it's like, hold on. I need to stop the action and tell you about my outburst and why I wanted to do that. And it felt just weird. It's like Reese last week, the scene where all of a sudden I'm going to yell about or talk, not yell, but I'm going to tell you all about my why I did that thing. Yeah, my home was destroyed by a hurricane. Uh huh. And here's like I had a friend do who I don't remember anymore. I watched it twice and I've already forgotten. Um. Because I'm mostly because I was because la- I didn't care because I was just kind of giggling at the moment and writing notes, but um, I will figure it out. Um, or kind of like that other crewman who he knows all about surfing and now he also knows about sonar. Yeah, yeah, sonar makes sense because communications. I was thinking probably just a very much like a communications dweeb. You know, like I'm big on Star Trek, so I can tell you a lot about Star Trek. He just he's a geek about uh, radio technology and communications. That's what I was thinking for that one. But for oh well, it actually did kind of make sense. This, this episode, um, on, especially on rewatch, she was, they didn't know if they were going to come out of the pattern buffer alive. And she wanted to apologize. Like, before I die, I'm sorry. I kind of blew up at you in my way. And so it was actually meant as a moment of, if I die, I don't want to be angry. Yeah. And so it actually did kind of fit here. But when right when it was happening, we were both laughing like, oh, no, they did it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what do you think about the whole pattern buffer technique? Um, I was not afraid that they were not going to come back at all. It didn't have any drama for me. But I thought it was a neat way to travel. I, f- I feel like somebody should have thought of this before. I mean, it's <coughs> it's the same reason why you separate the saucer. Mm-hmm. Is to get everybody away from a dangerous situation. And in this case, if the ship goes down, then the buffer goes with them. But the biological component... Or threat is removed at least, mm-hmm. and so I feel like this should be in the Starfleet operating handbook. Like if somebody's about to die, put them in the buffer. Yeah, it feels so you can prolong them, and maybe that's an ethics thing too. It's like we can keep them here. I mean, obviously Scotty was apparently the exception for seventy-five years in there. We're here; it was a couple hours, which is still apparently much longer than normal. But it's also hundreds of people instead of just one. Right, and so maybe the. We hand wave at the danger of this because we don't want people to get lost as energy forever. Well, what about this? What if somebody is in sick bay and they're dying? That's what I was thinking. Like, yeah, you can. Like, and they need to get back to a star base for treatment. Uh huh. Just put them in the buffer until you get there. Uh huh. It's basically like freezing them. Uh huh. No, I thought that too. Like, this could work, at least to some degree, but maybe that whole thing of like, we don't know how long you're safe with this pattern buffer. And so maybe you start to grow and die anyway, after too long, even after a thousand years. I was amused by the idea of Gray, Adira, and Squidface. They were all holding hands when mm-hmm. they got beamed in, and I, I wanted them to beam out as like some sort of horrific amalgamation, like kill me, Tuvix. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was thinking of that, but on a more horrific scale. Oh, so like Star Trek. One motion picture. A little bit, yeah. Uh-huh. But even worse. And then splattering all over the Yeah. Yes. Um <laughs> But I thought it was funny that like sure, go into the buffer with somebody so you're not alone, but I'm I would be nervous about beaming in while in physical contact with somebody else. Really? Yeah. No one else seems to have a problem with that. But like, yeah, but how does the computer know who's who? Exactly. <laughs> like what what if they think that the you end and the other person begins instead of at the fingertips it's actually like at the wrist uh-huh. like oh my god I now have an extra hand attached to my hand permanently and now I have no hand <laughs> or I have seven of nine yeah um, that would be interesting too <laughs> um, um, 
be honest, I thought that was fine resolution. That was cool seeing Discovery, like, having the, the heat entry type thing of them yes. just being ripped to shreds. Yes. Uh, so, oh, I, I did have one more question, though. So, Burnham did not go into the buffer. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she said to Zora, Zora, you're going to have to be the one to bring them out when it's safe. Do you understand? So if Burnham was not going to be the one to bring her crew out of the buffer, why did she stay on the bridge? Other than just tradition. Um, she said Captain goes down with her ship. She wanted that to be her legacy if she died. That doesn't seem practical. A lot of people don't do things practical. I thought the way she was going to survive was that Zora was going to put her in the buffer. I thought Zora was like mm-hmm. basically going to override her because we saw at the end of season two when they tried to blow up Discovery mm-hmm. when it had all the sphere data that it wouldn't blow up. It would not self-destruct. So Zora has a very strong self-preservation. And I think it's only a matter of time before that extends to her feelings toward the crew as well. And I don't mean that in a malevolent or malicious way, like in Forbin, the Colossus Project. I mean that more in the sense of TNG. Again, when the mm-hmm. Enterprise became self-aware, uh-huh. it beamed itself away from a threat before the crew even knew it. Uh-huh. Not just to protect itself, but to protect the crew. And I'm curious to see what Zora that will do. That feels like it's gonna... It's okay, I was just checking It feels like that's gonna lead to something sometime soon. Zora's mm-hmm. just gonna make the decision, like, and override someone. Mm-hmm. Or not! Maybe it'll, Star Trek has been pretty good about ex- subverting expectations. Yeah, I don't I don't know if she'll override because that really seems like it seems too close to what Burnham did in the very first episode mm, of the entire uh-huh. show. That's true. Unless like, it's a moment like I've done that too, Zora, and I understand, but we still have to arrest you. No. Um <laughs> but I understand she'll be they'll have some moment or or Zora wants to and is about to, Michael calms and talks her down. Mm-hmm. Um That's all I got. I got a few more things. Let's hear it. Um Book and Saru talking at the end about oh yeah anger and anger yeah that was and, cool like Saru saying like yeah I struggle with working with the Baul uh, at home but I he gives the advice of like don't make it your personality basically you can still feel rage you can still feel that anger but don't focus hard focus on it you know use it I liked that Saru said that their rage is justified. Mm-hmm. And to the point you just made, reminds me of what Mandy Patinkin says about the Princess Bride. How everybody always quotes his character as, Hello, my name is Nico Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. But in, in the actor's opinion, the most important line, he says, is his last line in the movie. Which I believe I'm paraphrasing is, I've been in the revenge business so long, I don't know what to do now. When anger becomes your only motivator and so large a part of your personality, eventually you have to let go. And what's left? Yeah. And Saru is warning him, don't get into that place in the first place. I thought that was powerful. Yeah. Uh, You don't see people talking about anger in that way and rage. And we've seen it a lot in the season in Star Trek talking about just like we don't see people talking about their feelings as much in Star Trek even in an episode alone, they'll talk about their feelings, but then it's gone out the window the next episode in the past for a lot of characters. Or they're, because it's, you know, it's their bottle episode. And they don't have a lot of, they might have growth, but it's not the same kind of growth we're seeing here where everyone is kind of helping book through this over the course of the season in their own ways. And I think it's really cool. Has there been an episode of Star Trek where one character has their phaser pointed at another and she wants to kill him? But she gets talked down from it, and like somebody says, if you kill him, you'll be just like him. Oh, that feels like a, I can't think of an example. It feels like that's a trope in Star Trek. It, oh, that, well, I'm not thinking of Star Trek. I'm just thinking like I can think of all these other shows it's uh-huh. happened in. But I'm trying to think specifically in Star Trek. Um, and I'm having a hard time with it. I, I can picture Janeway in this role, like holding the phaser or someone her talking someone down. Hmm. But I can't picture, like, an actual scene or moment. Right. I feel like it's happened tons of times. Because <laughs> right. I know Data um, shot at Kiva's Fajo. Yeah, but not out of emotion. Mm-hmm. He just thought it as the only logical way to end his reign of terror. Uh-huh. But no one stopped him talking down from it. Right. Um. It's, yeah, I know this has happened, but I can't think of any instance off the top of my head. Yeah, that's weird that we can't think of it. 
Anyway. Um, um, there was a really good episode of Quantum Leap where that happened. Yeah. Where uh, Sam leapt into the bo- a body of a, a murderer. And at the end, uh, the, the sheriff, whose daughter had been murdered by this guy, has his gun. Like, he's supposed to arrest the criminal that Sam Beckett is. Mm-hmm. And instead, he pulls out his gun and he's going to shoot him. And uh, this woman who Sam had been holding hostage steps in between them. And the uh, cop says, he's a murderer. And the woman says, "He, yeah, he is. But you're not. You're a daddy mm, yeah. who misses his little See, girl. Be remembered for that, not for this. It also feels like something's happening in Star Trek. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> if our listeners can think of those examples, please write please. in. Please. I just, I try and complete blank. Um, well, like we said, 800 episodes, they yeah, all get muddled yeah. together after a while. Stamets had some growth, too. Um, Did, he, he should see a dermatologist. He, he should, no. He had some character growth here, too, because Book was getting ready to fly out into the void, and then they found out. And then he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go to, I'm gonna go talk to Stamets. I gotta do something." And then Stamets, he come, um, book goes down to engineering, and um, um, Stamets actually stops to thank book for coming to help. And then they're talking about jumping out with the spore drive, and Stamets is like, "I have to watch the data because apparently I don't record it. I have to watch it live." Um, but um, book is like, "I'll do it," and Stamets is like, "Okay, now is as good a time as any to learn how to delegate." I uh, love that line. Yeah. <laughs> I really um, like Stamos in this episode. Yeah, he's starting to really kind of... He worked with um, Angry Science Guy last episode, and or recently, and then uh, here, and he's really seeing, like, okay, he's <laughs> growing, too, from his first season, telling everyone to F off, this is my science, get this heck out of here. You know who he reminded me in, in this episode of was Will Smith in the movie Hancock? Did not see it. I love that movie. It did not get a, a great critical response, but I'm a huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the TLDR is that Hancock is a basically a, like a Superman in our own real Earth, but he's also like a real mean drunk, and nobody likes working with him. And he works with a a public relations guy to learn how to be better. <laughs> and at one point, you know, the cops are there's a hostage situation. The cops are there, and Hancock shows up, and he says, "How can I help?" And the cops tell him, and Hancock goes to. In, walk into the bank, but then he turns around and he says to the cops, by the way, good job. <laughs> and like, you can see it's super awkward for him to uh-huh. say that, and he's making a conscious effort. He's like, oh, that's right, I need to acknowledge other people. <laughs> and that's what Samus was doing. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, the episode uh, was called Stormy Weather. Yes. Was um, that? Did that tie into the song Zora was playing? Yes, because okay. um, Char, my friend, told me, apparently Trek Movie mentioned this, um, get ready for this. So, shares a name of a song from 37, 1937, and a name of a musical, same name, starring Lena Horne, who released a music album, same name, in 57. Lena Horne is the grandmother of Star Trek Discovery executive producer Jenny Lumet. Huh. So it actually has a connection. Wow. Whether it's intentional or not. It's kind of neat. But I also just love this whole music popping up. Zora, it's the second time I've seen, heard Zora um, loving this kind of stuff. See, I thought the song she was singing might be coming from the musical Funny Face. Because mm. that's what we saw in Calypso. Uh-huh. But I guess we don't need to go there yet. Not yet. If okay. we do. Cool. Um, so that was kind of a neat tie-in. And then that's all I really had for the episode. I want to... We don't have much... To, we're getting a little long, so I wanted to briefly touch on Ready Room. Okay. Um, Jonathan Frakes was talking to Will Wheaton. Um... They did their best to stay on tar- target instead of talking about next gen. <laughs> but um, um, it's a really good episode if you want to see the behind the scenes work mm. of what it is like to work with a director, how they see the episode. Um, uh, he talked about how working with Sonequa for that scene on the bridge where Sonequa was alone um, going down with the ship. They had a few days to film that scene. And um, he talked about how... He said, she's a masterful actor. I don't have to steer her. I don't need to control her performance. It's like working with Patrick. Just like the wow. high praise of getting what he wants out of her. That's amazing. Uh-huh. That was really cool. Um, he talked about, um, apparently back on the set for Next Gen, and apparently it still happens now, when like you had a long day of filming and energy's down, 
usually Jonathan or someone breaks out into song to help bring the energy back. And he talks about how Will was like, I forgot about this. Because apparently um, they would do that in next gen. Brett Spiner would often start it. But Brett, everyone remembers Jonathan singing, apparently. Brent would go the whole thing of pretending to hold a microphone and moving an invisible cord as he's walking around the stage <laughs> singing, which is fun. Um, so, you know, the when I mentioned earlier that I met Jonathan Frakes at Super Mega Fest, there was a Q&A. It was a small audience, small room. And they say, please welcome Jonathan Frakes. And you'll expect, like, there'd be some music playing. But this was, like, a really low-budget event. Uh-huh. So he just walks in and he provides his own soundtrack. <laughs> and he's going, da 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 That's awesome. Yeah. He talked about the AR room, the holodeck, of the Mandalorian set. He said he didn't get to work on it at all this season, but next season looks like he will. You mean season five of Discovery? Uh Uh-huh. He said next season. Ha! Um... Uh, but he said, apparently talking to the production crew, it's a beast to learn. The actors love it. For the production crew, it's a beast of a system to learn, but the actors love it because they don't have to talk to an X on a green screen. Mm. (laughs) They can actually just see what they're looking at. And, um, for Discovery, he's actually told, they're told to make it more cinematographer, or cinema, um. Cinematic? Cinematic, yeah, thank you. Um, to do, experiment with the camera because, because they weren't allowed to on those old shows. It's very rare you saw weird angles in Next Gen, TOS, DS9, Voyager, all those. Those were all very stationary cameras. And he talked about how the big, huge bridge set helps with that a lot. But all the steady cam of turning the camera upside down. If you, so if you look, we talked about the cinematography before in Discovery Weight's different. Because they're encouraged to do it now. They're allowed to. And how they just haven't been in the past. Mm. So it's kind of neat. And apparently a lot of the lighting that they use for filming is actually built into the set. So it's kind of neat too. Um, I just love behind the scenes things and how it works. And so I love this. Um, there's a spoiler for Picard, a maybe spoiler. I'm not going to say it here. Thank you. He was, he, um, Will asked like, can you say anything? I know you're working on Picard right now. Can you say anything? And Will's like, or Will's like, I know you can't say anything. Hold on. Will Wheaton <laughs> is like, I know you can't say anything. And Frank's is like, well, actually I can. I asked him what I can say. And he, and he says, and then there's one line is all I could share. And I was like, what? Okay, um, but we don't know if it's actually real, or if it's even for season two. Well, since I don't watch Ready Room, I don't know what the spoiler is. Uh-huh. I'm not and saying, I, and I appreciate you keeping it off the air for uh-huh. our listeners who are like me. Yes, and then lastly, um, Will mentioned Jonathan. Jonathan, like, yeah, they said that how this Discovery cast feels a lot like them and how much of a family they are, and they talked about how someone played D and D together. Um, some of them, when, even if they don't have the casting call to be on set that day, they'll come in if they know their friend is having a hard scene to film, just to support them, and wow. just talk about their family, and it's just really sweet. This is a really good episode of Ready Room if you like that behind-the-scenes stuff. I highly suggest it. Um, and if you don't mind a potential spoiler that probably won't actually be a spoiler, stomach your way through it. Um, ah. I highly recommend it. Fantastic. Yeah, that's all my notes, and I got through a lot, and I know we're going a little long, longer than the episode again. Yeah, well, that's, what's the point of podcasting if you don't have that's more right, to say than the that's show? That's right, that's um, right. Yeah. And we'll be doing this again next week in person. Yeah, next week in person, and then we have season breaks, so we have nothing to talk about. Well, th- I know you're not eager to watch more Prodigy, but if you want to watch it together, we can do that. We don't need to podcast about it. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see, but... <laughs> No one else can see this. When mentioning watching Prodigy, my eyes kind of went like, uh, uh. <laughs> Well, I'm going to watch it. And also, a very generous friend just created a profile for me on her Disney Plus account. Uh-huh. So now yes. I can start watching not only the Marvel movies, uh, t- uh, by which I mean TV shows, none of which I've seen. Uh, so that's WandaVision, Hawkeye, uh, What If, lots of others, Loki, but also The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. which I've never seen. And also, I think there's a, do- a movie about a sled dog named Togo, so I want to go see that. Yeah, well, and that's for you to see. also Raya and the Last Dragon, which I actually have now already seen on Blu-ray. Yeah. But these are all things on Disney Plus. I've never had access. I take it back. When the pandemic first started, I signed up for one free week of Disney Plus. I thought I was going to watch The Mandalorian, but then I realized that they had Tron, mm. the animated mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Tron Uprising. Uh So I had to watch Tron Uprising. That's all I could fit into a week. But I thought I canceled the auto-renewal. Oh, no. (laughs) And I didn't find out until like four months later. And I didn't watch anything in those four months. Oh, no. So finally, I canceled it. And apparently, I only canceled the Disney Plus portion. 
and not ESPN and Hulu. Oh, no. Because it was a bundle. And I didn't find that out for four months. <laughs> so I really need to do a better job of reviewing my credit card bills line by line. Because I wasn't getting emails saying, like, you got charged again. Here's another bill. Like, ugh. And so, so with that knowledge, for to help you on watching Star Trek this week. <laughs> well, now I'm glad I have a profile on somebody else's account because I don't need to cancel it. That's right. <laughs> so, until next time. Oh, oh geez, I wasn't ready for this. I knew that was coming. I'll punch it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. <laughs>